you for joining us at Bangalore Revival Center. We are a church that's dreaming revival with God and serving people in love. It is our desire to equip you to represent Jesus and carry his great joy to the ends of the earth. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can visit dreamingrevival.com. Now, as you listen to the word, we believe that God will minister to you. What did we learn so far? Uh, do you remember what all did we learn so far? We learned how our giving has to be as an act of worship. We learned how our giving has to be the the kind of giving that is not trying to, you know, get benefits from God. We we learned about tithing, we learned about honoring a prophetic word, we learned about honoring the men of God when they uh, are placed by God in our lives. Do you remember that? What is our foundational principle this series? I I hope somebody will remember this reference this time. Reference, reference. Everybody knows the word. Acts chapter 20 and verse 35. Come on, let's read it out together. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Once again, Acts chapter 20 and verse 35. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to one more time. Acts chapter 20 and verse 35. Try not to look on the screen. Read it out. Acts chapter 20 verse 35. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. This morning I want to talk about this one particular way of giving. One particular style of giving. Which you know may look like we are trying to give to receive a benefit. Like you remember I talked about giving without expecting a benefit but this morning I'm going to teach you something exactly opposite of that because uh, the Bible teaches that also as a principle the Bible teaches the uh, the, the principle of uh, giving and giving to the extent that it will begin to uh, overflow and come back to us so this morning that's the that's the place that I want to touch on let's go to first second Samuel chapter 24 and verse 10 onwards there are a couple of stories that we're going to go through today and pick up a few lessons and then we'll go back into worship okay let's read it together one two three go but after he had taken the census David's conscience began to bother him and he said to the Lord I have sinned greatly by taking this census please forgive my guilt Lord for doing such a foolish thing who are we talking about this morning Samuel David this is David right this is uh, speaking about this king called David in the Bible and, and, and he was a great worshipper. He was a radical giver. He knew how to give to the Lord. You would see that uh, in, in detail the time when he was bringing the altar, the Ark of the Covenant back into Jerusalem. You remember Pastor Shaiju taught on this last to last Sunday. Every seven steps he would, he would, he would give, he would raise an altar, he would sacrifice and then he will go forward and that's how much David loved God and worshipped God that's how much he gave to God right 
But here in this particular context, the Bible says David realized that he has done a mistake. He has sinned. He has done something really, really terrible. And he is accepting that before the Lord. And he's saying, Lord, I know that I should not have done this. I understand that this is something that was sinful in your eyes. I have done a foolish thing. Will you please forgive me? That's the question David is asking God. Will you please forgive this foolish decision that I made to take up the census? Now, let me tell you this. Your giving is never to wipe away your sin. I taught you this last time. You remember? In, when we were talking about giving without benefits. Your giving is never to wipe away your sin. You cannot give to God expecting and hoping God, for God to forgive you of your sin. In fact, it's the other way around. If you have sinned, you better first get that sin rectified before you give to God. That's what Jesus said, right? If you come with an offering to the, to the temple and you realize that you have something in your heart against somebody, you leave your offering there, go settle that relationship issue, the problem that you have with that person, and then come back to give that offering. So your sins can actually stand in the way of your giving to be accepted. So, so I'm not teaching you to give so that your sins can be forgiven. There is only one thing that can take care of your sin and that is the blood of Jesus. There's only, and, and, and there is no price to pay for that. All you need to do is call on the name of Jesus. It doesn't matter how bad, how deep, how corrupted your sin may look like. If you go to the presence of Jesus, if you receive the power that is in the blood of Jesus, your sin will be clean. Your sin will be wiped away. Your sin will be washed. Amen. Amen. But this morning what I'm talking about is the effects or the consequences of your sin. Although our sin is forgiven, the consequences of our sin is not always taken away. For example, David, when he committed adultery with Bathsheba, the Bible talks about how he went to the Lord and he began to pray for forgiveness. And the crazy thing is immediately the Lord said, yes, okay, you're forgiven. But he still had to face the consequence of his sin, which was the death of his child that was conceived in that adulterous relationship. So even though the sin was forgiven, the consequence of that sin was not forgiven, was not taken care of. You understand what I'm saying? So this morning, I'm going to give you a shortcut to, to get rid of the consequences of your sin. I don't know if you're ready, if you're, if you, if you're willing to accept this, if you take this as, uh, as, as blasphemy, as heresy, it doesn't matter. But let me, let me teach you this principle, nevertheless, okay? And at the end of today's sermon, you can text me, email me, whatever, and let me know what you think about this word. Is that okay? Yeah. Are you ready for this? Here is David. He has committed a, a grave sin and God sent a prophet to him and God said, hey, you have three options. Either you will have three years of famine or you will have three months of being chased by your enemies or for three days I will send an angel from heaven and he will kill people all over Israel. And David said, 
the next verse give me the next verse verse 14 read it with me i'm in a desperate situation david replied to this prophet gad but let us fall into the hands of the lord for his mercy is great do not let me fall into human hands david saying hey i i know that i have sinned terribly badly but the consequence of my sin i pray and i hope that that god would be the one who would be dealing with my sin not the world not my enemy not my 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 family but i want you lord to come and deal with my sin because it's better to have fallen to the hands of god as harsh as it may be because god can show mercy because God can change his mind about the situation. God has done that so many times. The Bible says God had made up his mind to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. But there was a man who came and started bargaining with God. God had made up his mind to destroy Nineveh. But there was this one man who went and preached and the entire city turned around and God changed his mind. But God is a God of mercy. Even the consequence of that sin... David says, perhaps if I fall into God's hands, perhaps I can receive mercy even to experience, even to stop myself from experiencing the consequences of my sin. Do you understand what I'm talking about? You know, I know that several people in this place may be in a debt, maybe in a financial crunch, whatever thing that you're facing in your finances right now, okay? Some of it may be your own fault. Some of it may be because of your bad spending. Some of it may be because of your, your, your bad lifestyle or whatever reason you've ended up in that kind of a situation. You know, it may not necessarily be a financial situation. It may be a, a, a relationship situation. It may be an emotional struggle. It may be an a, a, a issue with your family, an issue with your workplace, whatever your issue is. Even if that is because of your weaknesses, even if it is because of your struggles, your failures, your wrongdoings in the past, this morning I'm here to offer mercy on behalf of Jesus because the Lord says, see, see, David is waiting on the mercy of the Lord in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament. How much more do we have mercy in the New Testament? with the finished work of Jesus on the cross, with everything that Jesus has done for us, how much more mercy can we experience from God? Amen? Are you ready to understand what David did? Give me the next verse. The Bible says, So the Lord sent a plague upon Israel that morning, after David said, Let me fall into the hands of God. And it says, It lasted for three days. A total of 70,000 people died. Check this out. This is crazy. If it was a famine, 70,000 people wouldn't have died. I mean, you, I mean, you know, back in those days, you, you hear of people dying in famine, but not 70,000 people in three days. Because you have some resources, some stores. If you, even if it was enemies that were routing Israel, you know, if you read the numbers that died in the wars, 70,000 is not an easy number to achieve in a, in a, in a battle. I mean, you know, we're talking about 70,000 back in the day when this population was sparse. And, you know, 70,000 is not a number that would have reached if, you know, David would have fallen into the hands of his enemy or even into the hands of uh, a famine. But here David chose to fall into the hands of God. And the Bible says 
throughout the nation from Dan in the north to Beersheba in the south. So there is a spirit of death that is looming over the entire nation. There is a spirit of poverty. There is a spirit of brokenness all over the nation. One man committed a sin and the effects of it is fallen over the entire church, over the entire family, over the entire city, over the entire nation. One man's wrong decisions, one man's uh, wrong desires, wrong will ended up in, 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 in casting a, a spirit of death upon the entire nation. And then when David repented, the Bible says, but as the angel was preparing to destroy Jerusalem, the Bible says the Lord relented and said to the angel, what did the Lord say? Stop. That is enough. At that moment, the angel of the Lord was by the threshing floor of Aruna the Jebusite. This is where the story gets interesting. Are you ready to journey along with me? So, so I want you to picture this out, okay? The angel of the Lord is traveling all throughout Israel from Dan to Beersheba, from the north to the south, everywhere. And finally, he reaches the heart of the nation. He reaches Jerusalem. He's about to destroy the whole of Jerusalem and the Lord, the Bible says the Lord had mercy and the Lord told the angel, stop. The Lord released the word, but it never says that the plague stopped though. The Lord just released the, come on, read it with me. He just spoke, he just gave a word saying, stop. Yeah. Now, a good amount of Christians will be happy with this. They'll be like, man, God fought our battles, God, you know, God did such a mighty work and, you know, I, I said it's better to fall into the hands of God than to fall into the hands of enemies and, and guess what God did? God stopped my enemy from fighting me and at the right time before he could enter my house, you know, that will become your testimony for the next 30 years. <laughs> but David had a companion who had some bit of spiritual intelligence. Are you ready to read about this guy? Okay, let's read. That day, Gad, Gad was the prophet. The, the prophet Gad came to David and said to him, what did he say? Hey, wait, wait, wait. It's not time to party right now. I know that the Lord has released the word to the angel saying, stop. But that doesn't mean the deliverance has come. That doesn't mean the breakthrough has arrived. Now, this is what you need to do. Now, the Bible says, go up and build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Aruna, the Jebusite. Now, 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 if I was in David's place, I would say, hey, come on, Gad, what's your problem? One, I know that God has already, you know, said it. It is finished. It is done. I mean, I don't have to do anything now. You know, I... You know, it's okay. Jesus has already paid everything. I don't have to pay a price. I don't have to do nothing. But, but God is saying, no, it's not over yet. You need to go and build an altar there. The second thing that you see is that God is saying, go to the same place where the angel stopped. See, David has a lot of property in Jerusalem. If anything, David is richer than Aruna the Jebusite. He doesn't need to depend on another man or somebody else or give to somebody else to be able to worship God. 
all he needs to do is tell his servants and they will prepare such a beautiful place, such a beautiful offering, such a beautiful altar. He did not need to go back to Aruna, to go to Aruna. But then there was a man who had spiritual intelligence among his friends. He came and said, no, no, no. There was a place where the angel stopped. There was a place where you experienced encounter. There was a place where the angel spoke to you. You know, the Bible talks, I skipped that verse, but the Bible says, David told the angel, hey, come and fall upon me. Don't kill my people, but fall upon me. In fact, that angel had a conversation with David at the threshing floor of Aruna, the Jebusite. And the Bible says, Gad said, hey, you cannot go anywhere else. You have to go back to that place. Don't go to the most, you know, don't go to the tabernacle. Don't go to where the Ark of the Covenant is. Don't go to the famous spots in Jerusalem. You know, Jerusalem is a place of pilgrimage. Every year people come to do Passover there, right? They come to visit the, the tabernacle. They come to worship God together in Jerusalem. But, David, but, 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 the, but the prophet said, hey, wait, wait, wait. Don't go anywhere else. Go to the threshing floor of Aruna. Now you may ask me, Pastor, why is it important for me to give in a particular place? Why is it important for me to, uh, to, to go back to a church or to go back to a, a man of God or to go back to a ministry and to give to that same place, to give in that same house or that same church? Why can't I just give anywhere that I want? You know, why can't I just give where the need is the most? Why can't I just give where, you know, people are, you know, poor and hungry and there is more need? No, no, no. That's not the principle of giving that I'm teaching you about. I'm talking about giving where God encountered you. I'm talking about giving where you received a revelation of who God is and what he's doing for you. I'm about, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about, hey, hey, we're not saying we're going to make Aruna, the Jebusite, a king and a lord and a god and, and worship his house. No, no, no. We are still going to worship God. But we are going to be people that have the spiritual intelligence to go back to the place where God encountered us. To go back to the place where God brought us from. You know, the Bible talks about how Jacob had encountered God at a loose, which he called it as Bethel. And the Bible says he forgot about this covenant. In fact, he had told God that once you bless me, I will come back here and I will build an altar for you here. Genesis chapter 35, the Bible says, God told him after he got victory from everything. Do you remember the place? The place where you had encountered the angels descending and ascending. Do you remember Bethel? Arise, go back to Bethel and settle over there. Because there was a place where Jacob had encountered God. Now you may, you may ask me, Pastor, why is it so important for me to be loyal to one church, to be loyal to one pastor, to be loyal to one ministry, to be in one place and, and to give everything there? Because it's a spiritual principle. This will only come by revelation. I'm not going to force anything on you, but the Bible says that the prophet told the, the king, said, go back to the threshing floor of Aruna. That is where... The angel encountered you. That is where the angel spoke to you. That is where the angel is still waiting. Right now, the angel has paused. He has not stopped the plague. He has paused. He is waiting to see what is going to be your next step. He, is, he has a word from the Lord, but he is 
still going to wait and see how you're going to respond to that word from the Lord. And the Bible says, he, 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 you know, he told him, go and build an altar to the Lord in that particular place. And, and that's exactly what David did. Give me the next verse. It says, so David went up to do what the Lord had. I mean, this doesn't make sense to me. Because nowhere in the scripture does it say God told him to do this. Whenever a prophet comes and tells a man, he says, hey, this is what the Lord says. Thus says the Lord. That's when you know that God has commanded. But I don't know if I, you can check multiple references if this is true. But nowhere do you see God telling David, go and build an altar there. Even the prophet, when he came, he said, no, no, no. I'm not saying this because God told me. I'm telling you this is a good idea. You have to have some bit of spiritual intelligence to go and build the altar in the right place. Don't miss out on this opportunity or else Jerusalem is also gone. There is a word from the Lord, but now you have to build an altar there to receive that breakthrough from the, from the attack, from the punishment, from the discipline that the Lord has inflicted upon us. And the Bible says that when David did this, the Bible records this is that David did what the Lord had commanded him. See, pastor, you know, here is a man who is a normal man, a human being. The Bible doesn't even give him the title prophet. It just says, Gad told him. You know, we, you know, we don't even know to what extent he was a prophet. He was probably an advisor or whatever he was in David's team. The Bible says that when David obeyed what Gad told him to do, it was equivalent to obeying what God told him to do. Isn't that crazy? We, we studied this last Sunday of how Paul told the church at Galatia, you know, that the church at Galatia, he said, hey, you know what? You, have, you received me and you took care of me as an angel of God and as Christ Jesus himself. You remember that verse? Come on. Anybody in this place? Galatians chapter 4. Go back and read it if you haven't read that verse. Paul says, hey, what happened to your blessedness? Paul was saying, hey, this is how you treated me. You treated me like you would treat Jesus Christ. And now it looks like you've fallen from that place. What happened to your grateful and joyful spirit? And here the Bible says that David treated Gad like he would treat the voice of God. And that's exactly how God recorded it. The Bible says God recorded it as a, a command that came from God. And then the next verse, it says, When Aruna saw the king and his men coming toward him, he came and bowed before the king with his face to the ground. The next verse says, Why have you come, my lord the king? Aruna asked. And David replied, I have come to buy your threshing floor and to build an altar to the lord there so that, come on, Loudly, so that wait, didn't didn't God already tell the angel to stop? Why is David still building an altar so that God will stop the plague? Because it was necessary. The word was released, but for that word to manifest, it was necessary that there will be one man who will take that step and he will build an altar in that place where God had encountered them. Amen? You mean the next verse. It says, you know, Aruna the Jebusite, he began to reply. What did he reply? Take it, my Lord the King, and use it as you 
wish aruna said to david here are the oxen for the burnt offering you and you can use the threshing you can use the threshing boards and the ox yokes for food, for wood to build a fire on the altar the next verse i will give it all to you your majesty and may the lord accept your sacrifice see here is the second guy with some bit of spiritual intelligence he knows i cannot do business with a man of god he's saying if the man of god wants my threshing floor he can have it i'm not going to sit and bargain with him how much money he can pay how much time i can give and I, i'm i'm really grateful for people in this church who has who has served this house selflessly and i'm telling you god will reward you for it god will reward you for it although i'm telling you we don't do you know we we will not take anybody for granted we will not take what you do for god for granted but i'm telling you god will honor you check this out this aruna whatever he is giving that is his inheritance once he gives it away like it's not like he can buy it anywhere else if once he gives it away he gives it away there's no taking back there's nothing that he will get back in return but he says it's okay i give it all to you you know take the oxen take the wood from here take the take the this thing from here take the land take everything guess what that place is where solomon later built the temple of god that is the place where solomon built the temple of god but david was wiser than aruna this is what david said let's read this but the king replied to aruna no i insist on buying this why because this is not for me this is for me to give to god and because i am giving to god i will not present burnt offerings to the lord my god with something that has cost me nothing so david paid him 50 pieces of silver for the threshing floor and the oxen so david paid a price he let it hurt him when he wanted to offer worship to god i mean this morning if i tell you you know it's time for offering put your hands into your neighbor's wallet and and put the offering everybody i'm telling you will have the highest offering this morning because it doesn't hurt giving from somebody else's wallet giving from somebody else's money it's very easy you will pull out the biggest notes you will empty their wallet you say, i mean this guy is really rich he doesn't need this money you will put his entire but tell tell me to put my own money man then we begin to count then we begin to see which which denomination is higher which denomination is lesser david says no no I don't I I know that I'm in here to receive a breakthrough for my sin for my failure but I also know that I'm not going to give to God what something that has cost me nothing I'm going to give to God something that has hurt me something that has moved me something that has pained me and and when I give like that I know that my giving will become sacrificial and that's the kind of giving that can bring a breakthrough into my life that's the kind of giving that can avoid that can put a stop sign before my adversary that's the kind of giving that can stop the debt that i have incurred by myself from creeping in and destroying everything that's the kind of giving that will stand before your sickness that will stand before your enemy that will stand before the attacks that has come into your life because you've opened those doors over your own life and and would say hey wait 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 this guy is not just forgiven he's also redeemed he's also 
taking care of his own consequence. He is paying a price. He is building an altar. He is not an ordinary Christian. He is an intelligent Christian. Somebody say, I am an intelligent Christian. The Bible says, David built an altar there to the Lord and sacrificed burnt offerings and peace offerings. And the Lord answered his prayer for the land and then the plague over Israel was stopped. Wow. Why did it not stop when God came from heaven and stopped the angel? Why did it not stop then? Why did David have to raise an altar, build an altar before God? Because it was necessary for him to give, to pay a price for him to stop this adversary from getting in and destroying everything else. We'll see this example several times in the scripture. Are you ready for a couple of more stories? Yes, is it okay? Let's jump to 1 Kings chapter 17. The Bible talks about Elijah. It says, so he went, Elijah went to Zarephath. As he arrived at the gates of the village, he saw a rich woman, right? Yes? Whom did he see? He saw a, a widow gathering sticks. And he asked her, would you please bring me a little water in a cup? No, no, no. Let me, let me explain the context. This is a season of famine. When there is no dew, no rain from heaven. And that's the season when the prophet comes and says, I want water. Come on, prophet. You can ask for anything else. Don't ask for water. You can even ask for money. But don't ask for water. Water is what we have very less. That's, that's one thing that we don't have right now. And, and the prophet walks in. And the first thing that he asks, not by chance, not by coincidence, he knows that is the lack in the house. And the first thing he asks is, give me water. Okay, and uh, the, the funny thing is, this widow was spiritually intelligent. The widow said, you want water? I'll give you water. Give me the next verse. It says, as she was going to get it, Elijah was surprised. Man, she didn't resist. She didn't say anything. As she was going to get it, Elijah said, I've got to make it harder for her. If she's willing to give me water, I'm going to ask for more. I know what is the last thing that's there in the house. I'm going to ask for that. He said, okay, okay. Water is not making you hurt. Let me ask you for something that will really make you hurt. Give me a bite of bread also. Now the widow stopped because the widow knows, man, water I had two buckets, but bread I had only one. I can't give him the last piece of bread. So the woman, the widow, she resisted. What did she say? But she said, I swear by the Lord your God that I don't have a single piece of bread in the house. Read it with me. And I have only a handful of flour left in the jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. I was just gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal and then my son and I will die. Do you see the same spirit of death that was upon David's nation? is upon Elijah's nation, is upon the neighboring places. Zarephath was outside of Israel, but you know, it was the same spirit of death was upon there. And, and the Bible says this lady is preparing to die, right? Now here walks in a prophet. Now you should understand, in David's case, it was David's sin. It was because of David's sin that the whole nation was suffering. But in this widow's case, it was not her sin. 
It was the sins of her leaders. It was the sins of people that were above her. It was the sins of her ancestors probably that she was paying a price for. She was about to die because of somebody else's sin, because of somebody else's mistake. The problems you are facing, sometimes it may be because of your own sin or it may be because of somebody else's sin, but the solution is the same. You want to break through out of this, the solution is the same. What is it? To give radically. And the prophet said, hey, I, I, it's very easy for me to just come and release a word saying, you know, God will bless this house and everything. But if you will give me a bite of bread, you give me a bite of bread and then you wait and watch how God will bless you. The next verse, the Bible says, and Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Read it with me. Don't be afraid. Go ahead and do just what you have said, but make a little bread for me first. Somebody scream first. And then use whatever is left to prepare a meal for yourself and for your son. You know, it's in our lives, usually it's the other way, right? We first use what we can and then whatever is left over, we give to God. But the, but the prophet says, no, 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 let me turn it around for you. That's not how the kingdom of God functions. You want to understand what radical giving is. This is radical giving. No, I know that sometimes you may not have enough money to pay your rent. You may not have enough money to buy groceries. You may not have enough money to pay your bills. All of that, I understand that, that they, they are realities. I mean, this woman did not have enough money to eat food. But the prophet said, no, you eat with whatever is left over. You give to God first. Man, if this guy was in our day and time, he would have been known as a false prophet. He would have been known as one crazy guy. Nobody would have watched his television programs or nobody would have attended his meetings because they, they, they would think this guy is a weirdo. He's asking money not from the king of the nation who has, who has sinned and who has done all the bad things. He's asking money from a widow who is, it's not even her fault that she's in this place in the first time, in the first, you know, thing. And, and, and he's asking the widow and saying, hey, you want breakthrough? You first come and feed me. Give me a bite first and with whatever is left over. See, this is the beauty of God that the, whenever Whenever you trust in God to receive a leftover, you know, when you give to God to such an extent saying, God, I don't care. I'm going to give everything that I have and I'm going to live on the leftover. I'm telling you, your leftover will be greater than your, what you started with. You know the story of five loaves and two fish in the New Testament. Do you know these guys collected five baskets, 12 baskets? I don't know. I, I'm, 12 baskets of leftovers. Come on. How many, how many did he begin with? I don't understand. This is not proper mathematics, God. But these guys began with five loaves and two fish. It won't even fit into one basket. Now they're left over with 12 baskets. And the disciples, that, that, that's what they lived with for the next 12 weeks of their life. 12 baskets. That is the leftover. Let me tell you, church, we have to learn this principle of giving to God first and living on the leftovers. We cannot give to God what is left, what is balanced, the last piece of money, the last piece of property that nobody else has any use of, the last child that nobody else will take into a school or into a college. Let me give this child to the Lord. That doesn't work. 
you give the best to the Lord and you live with the leftovers. And let me tell you, your leftovers are going to be better than your best that you can, you could have ever, ever lived with. Man, I, I, I hope somebody would catch this as a revelation. Somebody would catch this as a revelation. Somebody would catch this as a revelation. Because I believe that the Lord is causing our church to be a prosperous church. You're not going to be a poor church. You're not going to be a poor family. You're not going to live in lack. The reason being that you're, you're, you are a man and a woman of spiritual intelligence. You know that I cannot, I cannot consume my, my resources first and give God what is left over. I will give God first and then learn to live on my leftover. And I will wait and watch how God will bring a breakthrough into my life. And then the prophet releases the word. Let's read. It says, For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, There will always be flour and olive oil. Come on. Come on. What, where, it, there will always be flour and olive oil left over. Left over. There will always be flour and olive oil left over in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and crops begin to grow again. Somebody said, I receive it. I receive it. I receive, I receive, I receive it. And then the Bible says in the next verse, it says, so she did as Elijah said she did she was a wise woman she had already been willing to give him water and she said okay the prophet says so then even if i die i die it's okay but i better die giving and not in my stinginess even if even if my needs are not met it's okay but i i better do that with having given to god and not because i was trying to fend for myself amen The Bible says, as she did, and she did as Elijah said, and she, and she and Elijah and her family continued to eat for many days. See, this is the crazy thing. When Elijah was in this place, he realized he learned a principle. Till now, he didn't know this, how, this is how it works. But when Elijah saw this is how it works, he's like, man, if this can work for a widow, this can work over my nation. Yeah, if this can work in my house, this can work over my church. If this can work in my city, it can work over my nation. Come on now. And, and, and then the Bible says, Elijah said, I'm going to take this to the next level. He called all the prophets of Baal and he called all the people of God. And he said, let's build an altar to God now. Now this was not supposed to be. See, when, when that widow gave that last meal, that was her altar. Yeah. Now Elijah says, I, I learned a principle. Now let's build an altar for the entire nation. We're going to go crazy over the entire nation. Yeah? Are you ready for this? Man, when God spoke to me this word, I'm telling you, I was jumping, dancing. I was going crazy. I'm glad there was nobody in my room when I was uh, receiving this particular revelation from the Lord. And I pray that you will catch this as a revelation this morning. Are you ready for this? Okay. The Bible says... Then Elijah called to the people, come over here. They all crowded around him as he repaired. What did he do? He repaired the altar of the Lord that had been torn down. That's the first thing he did. He said, hey, come on, let's, let's begin to repair. 
the altar of God. Because if we have to see a breakthrough over our nation, even if God speaks, we have to first build an altar. So God has not spoken, but let's first build an altar and let the altar move God to release the word over our nation, to change the, the way our nation functions. Amen. And, 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 and he's like, come on, let's, he called everybody and he said, let's repair the altar. Let's repair our giving to God. Let's, let's reset the way we honor God with our tithes and offerings. Let's reset the way that we, we offer God our time and our resources and our money. Let's repair that first. The next verse, it says, Then he took 12 stones to represent each of the tribes of Israel. Everything that he did was very prophetic. It was to represent something or the other that was going on in that place. And 12 tribes of Israel at that point were running away, were going away from God. And he, and he put 12 stones together and he said, hey, put those 12 stones together. And, and he said, let's, let's, let's repair. These 12 stones will represent the 12 tribes of Israel, right? The next thing. Are you ready for this? And he used the stones to rebuild the altar in the name of the Lord. Then he dug a trench around the altar large enough to hold about three gallons. Now this is something which is unique. Repairing the altar many others have done, but hardly anybody you would see, you wouldn't see them digging a trench around the altar, right? But the, this guy, he's digging a trench. It's like, this is not in the Bible. <laughs> this is not in the commandments of uh, Moses. Why are you doing this? No idea. The prophet has some spiritual intelligence to do the right thing. Amen? And what is he doing? He's digging up a trench. Let's read what he does with that, okay? It says, He piled wood on the altar, then he cut the bull into pieces and laid the pieces on the wood. Technically, if I'm in his place, this is ready. This is, our altar is ready for offering, right? But he said, no, 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 wait, wait. There's something left. There's something left. This is what will add flavor to our offering. It's easy to offer wood right now. It's easy to offer bull right now. It's easy to offer, you know, stones right now. But there is something that is lacking in all of Israel and that is water. And he said, the next verse, it says, the next line. Give me the next line. Then he said, fill four large jars. I mean, each jar will be this big. Okay, he says, he called. Now, this is not prescribed in the law anywhere. You would never find anybody doing this. They would usually wash the uh, offerings outside before they put them on the altar. But after they put on the altar, they would never bring water to the altar. But here is Elijah saying, no, no, no. This is not an ordinary altar. This is a breakthrough altar. So I have to give God sacrificially. So ordinary worship will not work in this time. What is least right now? What is the specialist commodity for me? If it is money, if it is time, whatever is the least available thing for me right now is what I need to offer on the altar. Come on now. And then he said, bring four large jars with water and pour the water over the offering and the word. Did you catch the revelation yet? Elijah is saying, I learned something in the widow's house. 
it was not even the water that changed you know in the widow's house it was the food that was lacking and she had to give the food that was lacking but over the nation of israel it is not food that is lacking it's water that is lacking and it is water that we will sacrifice to god and the next verse it says come on and after they had done this he said it doesn't look like you are you are hurting yet so let's do it again so these guys they are like man this guys got mad this can feed and take care of homes you know water is sometimes you know it's actually more precious than food right you can live without food for a long time but not necessarily without water and and these guys are calling elijah mad in their head but they are, they don't want to you know do anything crazy because they know he is the only hope and 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 they're like okay the prophet says again they are you know bringing water from the from the most unusual spots all their storage they are emptying it out and their second time four more jars of water second time and the and the bible the bible when they were finished he said okay let's do it again let's do it one more time let's do it a third time and the bible says these guys that were with elijah so they did as he said they obeyed him they said okay if it means that we give sacrificially we'll give sacrificially if even if this is the last bit of water in our land it's better that we give to the lord rather than we trying to use it on ourselves amen even if it's the last rupee in your bank account it's better that it goes to god than for you to enjoy that last rupee and i'm telling you when you learn this principle when you learn this principle when you learn this principle god will begin to move on your behalf like never before i have tasted this i have tried this i have done this over and over and over again on a weekly monthly seasonal basis and i have seen how good god is how he stands up to his word every single time give me the next verse and it says and the water ran around the altar it's drenched the offering it ran around the altar and it now filled the trench you remember before the sacrifice he dug up a trench it's like it's not enough that it be on the altar it has to be there even surrounding the altar just fill just you know see water back then is 3 years no rain you can imagine right water back then is more precious than gold they'll pay gold they'll they'll give their lives they will sell their children to to get some water and elijah is saying we got to fill this place up with the most most precious object that we have right now which is water are you ready for the next verse come on when the fire came read it with me immediately the fire of the lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the young bull the wood the stones and the dust come on are you ready for this come on let's read it out together it even licked up all the water in the trench Pastor, this doesn't make sense. If you want the altar to burn properly, you pour kerosene on it. You pour petrol on it. You pour inflammable substance on it, right? No, you pour what has cost you the most. That is what will bring you the fire. That is what will bring you the fire. You you're trying the traditionally used methods like singing ten songs and and uh, and and praying the right prayers and praying the Lord's prayer. No, no, no. What costs you the most? Come on, tell me that. What is it that'll hurt you? Bring that to the altar and you wait and watch how the fire comes down 
And even though it may not look like the natural thing to do for the fire to come down, when the fire comes down, it will come and enjoy the water as much as anything else and even more than anything else. That's the God that we serve. That's the God that we serve. Are you ready to learn a principle? Come on, give me that verse. Luke chapter 6 and verse 38. Let's read this out together. We all know this verse. We sing about this verse, right? Okay, one, two, three, go. Give and it will be? When you give, what, the, what does the Bible say? That it will also be given back to you, right? Good measure, loudly, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put back into your lap. Whatever you gave, whatever you gave, however you gave, it will be given back to you. How? Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and overflowing, running over, it will be put back into your life. The next, the Bible says, for with the same measure, come on, are you ready for this? For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. If you gave sacrificially, you will receive back sacrificially. If you gave sparsely, you will receive sparsely. The same measure with which you gave is the same measure that it will come back to you. Come on now. How many of you are waiting for a breakthrough over your finances? There's no use praying. I'm telling you. I mean, I can pray for you, but there's no use praying. Only. There's no use an angel coming and saying, stop. All of that will work, but it will not finish the work. For the work to finish, you have to build an altar there. You have to give sacrificially in that season of your life. When you don't have time, give your time. When you don't have money, give your money. When you don't have your health, give everything you, you can to serve God at that time. Whatever is least available for you, give that to God. The Bible says, come on. I'm not satisfied with one version. I'm going to read the same verse in three different versions. Is that okay? You'll not be fed up, right? Give me the NLT version. Read it with me. Give... And you will receive. The Bible says your gift, it will return to you in full. Somebody say, I received that. The next line, it says, press down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. It'll be poured into your lap. Are you ready for this next line? It says, the amount you give will determine the amount you get back. Not, not, not see, see, you understand. You should understand. It's, again, I'm not talking about the hugeness of the amount you give. The sacrifice in the amount that you give. That is what matters more than the greatness of your amount. The sacrifice. How much do you have to sacrifice to give this thousand rupees? That's what matters the most. Can we read the same in the Passion Translation? Come on. Bible says, give generously and generous gifts will be given back to you, shaken down to make room for more. Are you ready for this? Our church will be the most generous church in the whole of our nation. I believe it. Our church, there, there's something that I prayed over our church. I don't know, we'll have to actually sit and see the finances for this year to see if this is true. Something that we prayed over our church. We want to spend more money giving away 
than what we spend on the church. There's a lot of expenses in the church, like buying equipments, paying the rent, all of that. But if we are spending more money on using in the church than giving away, then I think we are missing the goal somewhere, somewhere. And I pray that when we count our, I mean, we have not yet done that. This week we'll sit together with the team and we'll count how much money has come in and gone out. My prayer is that we should have given away more than 50% of the money we have received in the church. Do you believe that? Can you pray for that? Can you... Can we, can we be that church that gives generously? You, you know, and, and, and as the church gives generously, may this generosity come into your house. May this generosity come into your family. May this generosity come into your life, your finances, in every area of your life. It says, the next line, it says, abundant gifts will pour out upon you with such an overflowing measure that it will run over the top now it will not be there will be no room to handle this that's what it says in malachi chapter 3 amen the next verse it says your measurement of generosity becomes the measurement of your returns you're talking finance language now pastor we're talking about returns this is investment guys you may think this is sacrifice, but this is investment. You cannot outgive God. You cannot put God into a debt. Come on now. I'm gonna, I'm gonna release this prophetic word over the church. The next words are gonna, is gonna be a prophetic word. Are you ready for this? Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 18, he stood up and said to Ahab, go get something to eat and drink. Why? For I hear. A mighty rainstorm coming. Let me tell you, honestly, Elijah didn't hear anything. He didn't see anything. He didn't hear from God, nothing. But he had just sacrificed water on the altar. And he knew if I give up a water, it has to come. The rain needs to come. It has to come. My giving is my declaration that my breakthrough is coming. My giving is the prophecy about my breakthrough. My radical giving is the word that I need to believe that God is about to break through for me. I don't need to do anything else. I don't need no pastor to pray for me. I don't need no word. I don't need no prophecy. If I give, I know that a mighty rainstorm is coming. And I prophesy this over you, church. A mighty rainstorm is coming over you this season. As you give, 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 as you give to Jesus, as you give wherever the angel has encountered you, that that mighty rainstorm is coming over you. The Lord says, I am going to open up the windows of heaven. I'm going to open up the floodgates of heaven. There will be no room. There will be no room left to take it in. Because it will run over. When you give to the Lord, it is going to overflow back in your house, in your family, in your generation, in your children, for your sons and daughters. Wow. Wow. Read this next line with me before we pray and close. You ready? My sacrificial and radical giving can build for me an altar before God that will break through anything and everything. There's no barriers. There's no struggles. There's no problems that can stand in the way when I give radically and I give sacrificially. Giving is not what we are talking about. We are talking about radical giving, right? 
my radical and sacrificial giving will build my altar before God. That altar will break through anything and everything that is standing in the way. Thank you for tuning in. We believe that you are blessed by the word. We would love for you to be our guest on any of the weekends on a Saturday night service at 7 p.m. or a Sunday morning service at 11 a.m. For more information, please visit our website, dreamingrevival.com.